Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. We've been on a hiatus for a couple of weeks from our Journey of Faith series in the book of Joshua. We're going to pick that back up with number seven in the series, Claiming the Land of the Giants, Joshua chapter 14. You'll recall when we started this series, we established that the theme of the book of Joshua is to keep your courage because the Lord keeps His promises. And we definitely see that truth being played out in the life of a guy named Caleb. Uh, chapter 14, the focus of the Joshua narrative actually shifts to this guy named Caleb. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you know all about Caleb. Funny thing about Caleb, though, uh, and I'm going to apologize in advance to anyone in the audience whose name is Caleb. Funny thing about Caleb, though, while modern reference materials tell us that the name Caleb means wholehearted, if you were to uh, talk to uh, Hebrew language scholars or consult the Hebrew lexicons, in ancient Hebrew, Caleb's name actually meant dog or raging with canine madness. Okay, now when you think about that, it kind of hints at just how much of an outsider Caleb might have been all of his life. Uh, you see, dogs in the ancient Near Eastern culture, they weren't pets, they weren't domesticated, they were curs, scavengers, wild, unwanted. And for Caleb's parents to actually saddle him with this particular name, uh, maybe that suggests that he didn't quite fit in with their plans or that he was somehow inconvenient or unattractive or, or difficult. And so they therefore rejected him. Of course, we have no way of knowing exactly how he came to be named Dog. All we know that his dog wasn't uh, originally from one of the, the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, he was from a group called the Kenizzites. And so Caleb was actually adopted into the tribe of Judah, which was the royal tribe from which all of the kings of Israel came. And when you think about it, that's a wonderful example of how God loves to take outcasts and make them people that belong to himself and to his covenant people. Well, the promise of an inheritance given by Moses to both Joshua and Caleb back in Numbers chapter 14 brought Caleb courage. As alongside Joshua, he endured years of wilderness wandering, of waiting, 45 years to actually be precise. And as we skip forward to Joshua chapter 14, we see exactly what sort of inheritance Caleb had in mind and, and how ironic it really is that he makes this request. You see, this non-Jew didn't claim just any old part of the promised land. He wanted Hebron. Hebron is the place that's most commonly known as the best piece of real estate in Canaan. See, Hebron was the place of the patriarchs. That's the very spot where Abraham received the covenant promise from God that Canaan would one day belong to his descendants. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their wives were buried at Hebron. Hebron was a national treasure. It was destined to be a very important uh, memorial for generations to come. And now, this nationalized foreigner 
wanted it for himself. Well, as we've already studied in previous sessions in this series, the campaign to occupy the Promised Land had already begun. In fact, at this point, the Israelites are five years into their campaign. And here in chapter 14, Caleb declared to Joshua that he was now ready to claim the inheritance of land that he'd been promised by Moses. So join with me if you would. We're going to read beginning in verse 6 there in Joshua chapter 14. Joshua 14, verse 6. It says, The descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord promised Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart, but I followed the Lord my God completely. On that day Moses swore to me, the land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever, because you have followed the Lord my God completely. As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years, as He promised, since the Lord spoke to Moses, spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for daily tasks is now as it was then. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day, because you heard then that the Anakim are there, as well as, a large, as large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out, as the Lord promised. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Therefore Hebron still belongs to Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, as an inheritance today, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, completely. Hebron's name used to be Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. After this, the land had rest from war. Now I think, church, one of the things that we take away from this, at least spiritually speaking, is that every one of us has a mountain to climb, or mountains, plural, to climb in this uh, Christian life. Sadly, a lot of times we feel inadequate to face those challenges, to climb those mountains in life. But here in chapter 14, we actually learn some significant lessons from Caleb as he claimed the mountain that God promised him. We find that he was sufficient for the task because God had provided him with strength for just such a challenge. In fact, really the main thought that runs through this account, the, the big idea that we should take away from this, is that the children of God often have mountains to climb, but with His strength, we can overcome no matter how rugged the terrain. So with that thought in mind, I want you to notice three things from our text, okay? Two things about Caleb, one thing about God. Number one is this, that Caleb's courage never wavered. Look at verse 10 again. As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as He promised, since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, 85 years old. Now, you'll recall uh, from your Sunday school lessons that a uh, generation back, Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14, Moses had sent spies into Canaan 
to scout out the land. And they returned from the promised land with a pretty perplexing report. You see, the minority report and the majority report didn't quite jive. They contradicted each other, in fact. The majority, ten spies, declared that the task was impossible. They were frightened. They were frightened of giants in the land. Now, who exactly are these giants that the scripture refers to? Well, they're known as the Anakim, or the Anakites, or the sons of Anak. The Anakim's ancestry has been traced back to this guy named Anak, the son of Arba. But the Anakim were a very formidable, fierce race of, of giants, warlike people who occupied the lands of southern Israel, including this city of Hebron. In fact, they occupied it several hundred years before the Israelites even arrived. But in Numbers, you'll recall, when the spies returned from Canaan, it was Joshua and Caleb who had declared that occupying the land was indeed possible in the strength of the Lord. But the people gave in to fear, and as a result, their generation never entered the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb. And here, 45 years later, Caleb declared that even at the age of 85, he was still bold enough to capture the land. And why shouldn't that be? Because Caleb had placed his confidence in God, just as he'd done 45 years before. And he could still remember what God had done. He could still remember God at the Red Sea, how He had miraculously intervened on behalf of His people in the wilderness. And even after all the difficult wilderness wanderings, he was determined to place his confidence in God's power to see him through. And Caleb's faith in God was not shaken by circumstance. And like Caleb, if you and I are going to move forward and climb our own mountains, well, then we also have to express our confidence in God, to take a step of faith, to rest in His ability to give us victory. Stuck in a dead-end job and strapped for money, Kyle McDonald came up with an improbable plan. Starting with one red paperclip, he would trade on the internet until he exchanged it for a house. Yes, First, he traded the red paper clip for a fish-shaped pen. Next, he traded the pen for a doorknob. He traded the doorknob for a Coleman stove. He traded the Coleman stove for an electric generator. He traded the electric generator for a Budweiser sign and a keg of beer, which he then traded for a snowmobile, and so on. And exactly one year and 14 trades later, McDonald finally reached his goal. He exchanged a part in a Hollywood movie for a house in Saskatchewan, Canada. I mean, you talk about trading up. He had mastered it. And this true story of Kyle McDonald was actually told in his book called One Red Paperclip. In fact, I've read that perhaps a movie version is in the works. But fame, fortune, a book, a movie deal, and a home, it all began with one simple little thing, a red paperclip. Sounds pretty incredible, doesn't it? But here's the thing, church. I believe our faith is kind of like that red paperclip. You know, even the smallest amount of it can reap huge rewards. 
And Jesus said, if we have the faith, even the size of a mustard seed, that we'll be able to move mountains. That's in Matthew chapter 17. Of course, you know that a mustard seed is tiny. It's very, very small, <laughs> far smaller than a paperclip. And yet, Jesus says, if we have this much faith, nothing will be impossible for you. Well, in Caleb's case, his faith was, in fact, it was wholehearted. His confidence was high, not to move a mountain per se, but to claim a mountain. He was confident that the God who promised him this land would be faithful to deliver it. So we see that in 45 years, Caleb's courage never wavered. His faith was strong because he had placed his faith in the right object, the right person, God. And his faith didn't waver, and guess what? Neither should ours. But here's the next thing I want you to notice from our text. Number two, Caleb's strength never waned. Look at verse 11. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for daily tasks is now as it was then. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day, because you heard then that the Anakim are there, as well as large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. Now, church, I, I got to admit, one thing that I find extremely admirable about Caleb was that even at the age of 85, he was ready to, as they say, chew bubblegum and kick behind, and he was all out of bubblegum. You know what I'm saying? He didn't look for the easy task, you know. He, he wasn't suited to, to work that we, we would, you know, that we would assign to an old man. He asked Joshua for mountains to claim and for giants to conquer. And therein lies the further irony of Caleb's request. He desired this hill country where the giants had been seen. And that didn't even faze him. He says in verse 12, Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. Now I want you to note some of the key words here in verse 12. Hill country. Anakim. Large and fortified cities. You see, those are the very things that the ten faithless spies used to discourage the Israelites from entering the promised land in Numbers chapter 13. Now, when you study the Anakim, you, you got to admit, these Anakim giants were a pretty spooky bunch. Now, Hebrew scholars say that the name Anakim likely means long-necked, which is a euphemism for, for tall. They're very tall. But the Moabites called them the Emim, meaning the terrors. Another common nickname was the Rephaim, meaning shades or, or spirits of the dead. Or it could also mean terrible ones. <laughs> now, maybe you know that old joke, you know, where does an 800-pound gorilla sit? Anywhere he wants to. So, where do the Anakim uh, live? Well, wherever they want to. <laughs> In this case, on the high ground, about 3,000 feet above sea level in the choicest land, an area called Hebron. And of course, Hebron lay within the hill country, this land that Caleb had requested. But you know, he was confident. He was confident that with the power of God, he would be able to take this tough territory inhabited by giants. Caleb welcomed 
the challenge. Reminds me of a woman named Zoe Koplowitz. Zoe didn't back from challenges either. She didn't back down. Uh, at age 59, she ran the New York City Marathon, November 2007. Zoe did not do so well. In fact, the first woman to cross the, the finish line took two hours and 23 minutes. First man came in with a time of two hours and nine minutes. Zoe's time, 28 hours and 45 minutes. You see, 30 years earlier, Zoe Koplowitz was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, MS. And in 1988, she entered her first New York City Marathon and completed the route in just under 20 hours. That was actually her best finish. After that, she completed that marathon 20 more times. She also ran in, in the Boston Marathon, uh, a London Marathon. And in 07, in that particular race, Zoe wore a back brace and knee braces and she walked the entire route using crutches accompanied by her supporters. Now for her, crossing the finish line was, quote, a total blessing. And following the race, she said, I'm just extremely grateful. I don't get any younger and my MS doesn't get any better. And one reporter noted that when the best athletes just ran past her, Zoe Koplowitz kept walking. Hardcore runners passed her by and Zoe kept walking. In fact, when the last runner in the race crossed the finish line, Zoe kept walking. And you see, like Zoe with her multiple sclerosis, Caleb refused to let his age deter him. He was still strong, but you see, he was strong physically because he was strong spiritually. God had enabled him to be the mighty leader and warrior that he was because he trusted God. Now remember, Caleb had already been through those tough wilderness years, 40 years worth. And as a result, Caleb had an unparalleled strength of faith. You see, church, when difficult times come, there's usually one of two possible outcomes. The difficulties either weaken us, we struggle, and we fail, or they strengthen us as we choose to trust God to see us through. Now, more often than not, the reason that you and I crash and burn is because sometimes we proceed from the mistaken notion that somehow we can accomplish victory through our own means our own power, our own strength, our own wisdom. But when we do that, we'll eventually stumble. Christians, that's, that's all the more reason for us to abide in Jesus. Stay connected to Him. Live and walk in Him. He is our strength to persevere. He is our vi vitality. He is the source that gives us life. And that's why Jesus said in John 15, 4 and 5, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
You see, the problem we have is that believers are constantly tempted to place their faith in lesser things. Friends, if you're tempted to put your faith in anything other than God, yeah, you're probably in for some, some trouble. I mean, you may be tempted to place your faith in yourself, in your own abilities, your career, your finances, maybe even your own family. But you see, if you're not placing your faith solely upon God, then you need to repent and put your faith back in Him. Your faith alone in Him once more. You see, when we choose to trust God for wisdom, for strength, for encouragement, we lose that fear that sometimes comes from, from hard times because we know that like Caleb, God has already seen us through hard times. And so we can look back on our past to see how he came through before. We know he's going to come through again. That's why David, when David killed Goliath, remember the, the, the story from 1 Samuel? That Goliath, by the way, is a descendant of the Anakim. That's why he was a giant. When David defeated Goliath, he kept Goliath's armor. Now, why would he do that? Because he could never possibly hope to use that armor. It was way, way too big. See, David kept the armor of Goliath as a memento, a reminder of the great victory that God had given unto him and to the army of Israel. And likewise, Caleb remembered God's mighty deeds. Even in the hard times, he had witnessed, you know, God parting the Red Sea, God's miraculous provision for them in the wilderness, the parting of the Jordan, the fall of Jericho, the victorious return to Ai, God making the sun stand still in the sky. And so he was determined to live in God's strength. And because Caleb's strength was in the Lord, he knew that God would never fail him. In fact, the secret of Caleb's life is actually found in a phrase that's repeated in various forms six times in the Scripture, including three times in our text today, verses 8, 9, and 14. That phrase, I followed the Lord my God completely. That's why he could say, the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out. Caleb was an overcomer because his faith was in the Lord. Now, as the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Not just the giants, but the world. So Caleb's courage never wavered because he placed in the right person, God. And Caleb's strength never waned because its source was God. Now, here's the third thing I want you to notice from our text. Caleb's God never withdrew. Look at verse 13. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron still belongs to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, as an inheritance today, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, completely. Hebron's name used to be Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. After this, the land had rest from war. All this time later, God's hand of blessing was still upon Caleb. And because of his willingness to, tuckle, uh, to tackle the, the tough terrain, 
That's three T's in one sentence. It is a tongue twister for sure. <laughs> Caleb took the land that he'd been promised. And he had enough, not only for himself, but for all of his descendants. You see, church, God is faithful. God is trustworthy. And he never forgets to keep his promises. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes the path we walk in order to claim those promises is littered with obstacles. You know, in, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Solomon wrote, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. and all your ways know Him, and He will make your path straight. But though God can make obvious the path that He's laid out before us, does that necessarily mean it's the path of least resistance? No. In fact, more often than not, it's quite the opposite. In his book called Exodus and Revolution, Michael Walzer shares three lessons that we can learn from the Israelites' experience, from the Exodus, the wilderness, and the Promised Land. He says, first of all, wherever you live, it's probably Egypt. Egypt, of course, symbolizes oppression, slavery, bondage. Of course, the second lesson is this. There is a better place, a world more attractive, a promised land. But here's the third lesson. But the way to that land is through the wilderness. Well, Caleb's mountain was littered with Anakim. But during this quest of Canaan, Joshua and Caleb expelled the Anakim from the hill country. And then Caleb finally drove them out of Hebron altogether. And then the land had rest from war. Why? Because Caleb's God never withdrew. You see, in this text that we, uh, we've read today, we find that Caleb had a faith that was so full that even these fearsome giants did not deter him. He believed. He believed in God when, you know, a lot of other people didn't. He claimed the promises of God. He didn't allow four harsh decades in the wilderness to erode his belief. Now, he had wanted to take possession of Canaan 45 years earlier. And here at the age of 85, he still hadn't changed his mind. Truly, Caleb was wholehearted because he obeyed the Spirit of God. And as a result, God was with him. And all of us would do well to follow Caleb's example. How do we do that? Well, first and most simply, it starts with a full faith and a heart that's surrendered to God, that's obedient to Him. So how can we take all the stuff that we've read about Caleb in chapter 14 and apply it to ourselves? How do we put those truths to work in our own lives. Well, three takeaways I, I want to focus on here in the next few minutes. Three ways that we can apply this. Three ways that we can put this to work based on what we've observed about his life, his faith, and his character. Number one is this. Let go of your past. You see, your past can dictate your future. So don't let it. Let the past go. Paul got that. 
His testimony makes that clear in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul knew what it was like to have victory despite his circumstances, despite affliction, dis despite distress, despite uh, persecution, uh, despite sword, famine, all those things that he lists in Romans chapter 8. And that's why he could wrote, uh, write in, in Romans chapter 8 verse 37 that in, in all these things that he just referred to, all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. But you see, long before Paul, there was this guy named Caleb who lived out this truth. You see, he didn't let either his past in the wilderness or his present challenges shape his future because he was trusting God to write the script. And likewise, you and I, we can step into a new kind of future right now by acknowledging that, hey, whatever the past has been, good, bad, ugly, however bad the, the present might seem, that God holds out unspeakably great and precious promises, promises that cannot be broken. I don't know about y'all, but I think that ought to give us a lot of hope for the future. No, we don't know what the future holds, but guess what? We know the one who holds the future. So let go of your past. The second takeaway is this. Choose faith over sight. See, maybe the greatest danger you'll face as a Christian is choosing between faith and sight. Between basing our decisions on the circumstances we see or on the promises that God has put before us. My counsel to you is simply this. Choose faith. Trust the Lord. Caleb saw that everyone else he saw the, the same thing everyone else saw when they had scattered the land back in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. But you know what? He refused to let his senses dictate how he was going to act. He didn't let them tell him to override the promises of God. In fact, we see it very clearly in the text here. Listen to Caleb's own words. Verse 6, you know what the Lord promised. Verse 10, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he promised. Verse 12, now give me this hill country the Lord promised. I will drive them out as the Lord promised. Over and over and over again, Caleb emphasizes his confidence in God, his firm conviction about God's promises and the truthfulness of his word. So instead of gazing at all the circumstances around him, his faith and his actions were anchored in the rock of an unbreakable promise made by a faithful God. You see, sometimes it's possible to be so close and yet so very far away from realizing God's best for you. 
And of course, what makes the difference between the two is simply us choosing to trust God. And when we do that, we can fight worry. We can fight fear. We can fight doubt. We can fight despair with God's promises. He will not fail you. You have his word on it. So we choose faith over sight. Here's the third takeaway. Cling to the vision. Cling to God's promises. Yes, difficult circumstances in the passage of time can often threaten your zeal. Don't let it. Cling to the vision. I mean, think of it this way. Do you still want the same things that you wanted when Jesus was brand new to you? When being a, a Christian was, was fresh? Are you still holding on to the same blessed hope as you did before? Caleb did. He clung to God's promises for 45 years, which teaches us to persevere in our faith too. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. Let's not give up. Let's not quit. Paul said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. He tells them in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that since Christ has already given us the victory, then be steadfast, be immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He also says in Galatians 6, 9, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap a harvest at the proper time if we do not give up. What is the, the vision that, that you need to keep clinging to? What is the promise that you need to lay claim to? Maybe you're here today and, and you've just, you've got a longing to see a lost loved one come to Jesus Christ. Hey, been there. Maybe you've got a child that's been wayward. Been there too. Maybe you suffer with chronic pain or, or illness or, or maybe you sense a need that needs to be filled in the, in the church or maybe God has given you some sort of vision for the future. Don't give up on that. Cling to his promise and never quit praying. Never quit seeking his heart. Maybe there is something that God is calling you to but you've put it off and well now you think the opportunity has passed. Folks, it's never too late. I mean, some people, yeah, they'll, they'll, they once believed that God could use them, but now the past keeps crawling up to, to haunt them, making them feel unworthy, unqualified. Don't listen to that. Don't give up. And never doubt the potter, the one who can take the clay of your life and mold it into something beautiful. See, that's what God did with Caleb. Caleb the dog lived out his days in Hebron because he gave his past up to God. He let God call the shots in the present and he believed God for his future. Of course, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you know that this book is a book about Jesus. So where is Jesus in all of this? Well, it's kind of interesting 
There's actually something here in this Old Testament narrative that points us forward to a much, much greater reality to come. A reality that would find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. You see, Caleb was not the only person with a mountain to climb and giants to conquer. Jesus had his own mountain to climb. He walked up the mount to Calvary. And he battled the giants of sin and death and hell to bring us all life and victory in him. And guess what? He has freely offered that gift of life to each and every person who would humbly call upon him. In Christ lies the power to conquer all the mountains of life. So Christian, let me ask you today, what is your mountain to conquer? Your giant to slay? And are you trusting in God's leadership and strength to accomplish that victory? And for those of you here today who've never chosen to trust Christ for salvation, then what are you trusting in? Yourself? How's that working out for you? See, maybe we should try it God's way. I'm reminded of what David said in Psalm 34, 8, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is the person who takes refuge in Him. See, every single one of us was created for relationship with God, our Creator, forever. But something happened along the way that goofed all that up. We call that something sin. It separated us from God. It severed the relationship. But thankfully, God had a plan. A plan to buy us back from the slavery of sin that had kept us from Him. That plan? Jesus, God the Son, who would willingly pay the penalty of sin in our place so that we could be reconciled to God. In short, God formed us Sin deformed us, but Christ transforms us. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. And you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.